T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Welcome back to the program, second hour of Overnight America this evening. I'm Randy Tobler, in for Ryan Recker, taking a well-deserved break. I wonder if Ryan's going to get a vaccine. Well, it won't be available uh, for him uh, right away. And in fact, it looks as though the rollout of the vaccines are going to be uh, delayed because of uh, just rationing. It's just, they call it allocation and priorities and tiering. It's rationing. Uh, and he's too young and healthy to be getting that in the first tier. The uh, Governor Parsons tiers were uh, torn up a little bit today, we found out, uh, working at and leading at a hospital um, uh, in rural Missouri, myself. We found out that many hospitals that requested the Moderna vaccine because they don't have the facilities to take care of the ultra-cold, long-term storage, um, very expensive freezers, specialty freezers that you know keep my 90 de- minus 90 degrees temps, um, that, uh, that we're hoping to get the Moderna. Well, they didn't get the government, the state government didn't get the shipment and the amounts that they expected and were estimated to get uh, from the feds. And so then that, of course, rolls downhill, and now they've had to recalibrate the tiers. The first tier was supposed to be healthcare workers, some 300,000 healthcare workers in Missouri, uh, and then about 130,000 uh, residents of uh, long term care facilities and nursing homes. So they've decided to shift the uh, Moderna vaccines to those facilities, and the healthcare workers are going to have to either get some, uh, some of the Pfizer excess as that rolls in and, um, and wait for Moderna. So what we thought was going to be a rollout of Moderna statewide, um, it's uh, going to be it's going to be a little delayed, maybe till uh, till January, late January. But in the meantime, I, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with uh, Ken Remy, Dr. Ken Remy, a COVID researcher and uh, doctor treating COVID patients, both adult and pediatric. Last hour, if you didn't get a chance to catch that, please uh, make sure you catch the podcast. It'll be on radio.com on the KMOX site uh, later. Uh, it's up now. Wow. Producer Nathan is on his toes. I wonder if producer Nathan maybe, I don't know, maybe he's uh, maybe he's taken that Ritalin for his falsely diagnosed ADD. What, 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 you say? Nathan's over there going, no, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's, that's the most, that's the most, <laughs> that's the most rapid fire podcast production I've ever heard. Well, the reason I bring that up, and, and I'm just kidding, of course, Nathan's not. 
Definitely that. Um, we're going to be talking with Erica Commissar. She's a counselor and a frequent flyer on uh, Wall Street Journal. And she writes on parenting matters, our development of our children. She's, uh, she's just a consummate um, author and, and cares so much about our children and the impact of policy and the various societal ebbs and flows and the tidal waves sometimes that happen and what that means for our children. Because, of course, those, those young the, the impacts on our young are long-lasting, sometimes lifelong-lasting and life-altering. And, of course, this COVID experience, we've heard about the, oh, the push and pull between the teachers' unions in various places saying, shut it down. It's dangerous for us. Forget about the... Uh, now, I'm paraphrasing. This is Randy speaking. Forget about the kids. <laughs> Forget about when they're not learning too well because they're at home. Forget about the parents and what happens when they're trying to be teachers and workers and uh, moms and dads, as, as, as they always are, uh, all at the same time. Uh, it's just been very difficult. And so uh, Erica writes frequently about that during this whole pandemic. Her recent uh, piece in the journal is entitled Online Class and False ADHD Diagnoses. I just tweeted that out on, uh, if you're not connected with me on Twitter, please do that, at Randy Tobler, MD, and stay in touch that way. Online Class and False ADHD Diagnoses, we'll be talking about that. That diagnosis has really risen in the last uh, decade or two. And of course, I think uh, the, the point is that kids may react seemingly abnormally when they're put in very, very atypical, dysfunctional, strange circumstances, i.e. online learning for, what, four, six, eight hours a day, especially when kids, the younger they are, the, the, the shorter the attention span. So how in the world can we uh, expect them to react properly? So uh, we'll talk to Erica about how we can, I, I guess, limit the damage from this COVID year of partial or in some cases, mostly online learning for kids. And hopefully the message of Dr. Remy and others, uh, born off of good science, will get to the schools, uh, school district decision makers and get the kids back into school. It's just so, so important. The numbers are 314-436-7900 and 1-800-925-1120 if you want to comment on kids in school or if you have some thoughts about the vaccine. Now, a little bit about the vaccine that we didn't get to cover with Dr. Remy. Look, I actually had someone call on my Saturday show over in our sister station, KFTK, 97.1 FM Talk, and say last Saturday uh, that... She's heard that there are microchips that are uh, that are additional ingredients that the government is putting in these vials of vaccine, and it's going to result in mind control and or you know monitoring of our behavior. Now, I'm as skeptical as the next guy, and I'm I'm you know I'm a small government guy. I'm skeptical of big government and the things they can do. I mean, you, you all or many of you probably know and have heard of the Tuskegee experiment, a a, a, a tragedy in our American history where um, African-American men were given, um, you know, purposely given syphilis by researchers, by government researchers um, in times gone by. That, that's, you know, I mean, and so because those events have rarely happened in American and other history, I, I can understand maybe if I really stretch my imagination a lot that a novel vaccine for a novel virus with lots of uncertainty swirling around at the beginning, especially lots of overreach. I think we'd all agree, especially at the beginning. And in some jurisdictions, especially those blue state jurisdictions like Gavin Newsom's place out there on the West coast, Chicago, New York, others, 
probably still some overreach in terms of lockdown with restaurants and small businesses and just been terrible. All that said, you can net all of the skepticism that we may have and properly should have as liberty-loving Americans. Um, I, I just, there's no way that microchips are in the vaccine, folks. It's, it's not there, I'm telling you. If, if microchips were in the vaccine, it would be turbid. Um, for those of you that went to Nathan's school, that means cloudy. I'm just kidding. Man, I'm really, I'm really razzing Nathan tonight. I don't know why I'm having fun with Nathan. Nathan's a great guy. But Nathan, you can handle it, though. You're a big guy. You can handle it. Um, so the bottom line is it would be turbid. Uh, it, it, there's just no way that there are, there are, you know, things in there that are going to help you grow a third eye or anything like that. Although my vision, since I got the vaccine earlier today is like better than a, the new iPhone, you know, 12 or fit. What are we up to now? 17, 18 plus. That's it. I see my, my, I've got an old iPhone, like eight plus, and it only has two, Two little uh, camera eyes here. And I understand the new ones have three or four. So maybe they gave the 8 Plus a COVID vaccine that grew another eye. I Look, I'm not trying to minimize people that have concern over something new that uh, potentially could have a problem. I mean, people remember back to the, uh, to the swine flu vaccine back in President Ford's administration. And there was an, in, an uptick in a, in a neurologic syndrome called Guillain-Barre. But this fact, these vaccines collectively have been studied on over 70,000 patients. I mean, that's remarkable. That's, that's more than most drugs that are released on the market or are, are tested under. And, and extraordinarily good safety data on them. And I'm not one as a physician to be an early adopter. I, I tend to wait till middle to, you know, maybe the third quarter of the, after the release of a new drug. No matter how thrilled and excited and about it and how much it makes sense to me and how you know much it may help my patients i'm always cautious because there have been in american uh, drug lore there have been drugs that have had some that were pulled from the market after large-scale release i get that but having looked into the basic science around this vaccine the beautiful elegance of it and how it is i, I use the word clean i mean it just it's it's a it's a it's a straightforward very elegant uh, but straightforward way of presenting a piece of the vaccine of, of the virus that spike protein to our immune systems rather than having our immune system cope with a disabled cold virus to which is connected uh, or has been modified to resemble the virus that we want to target. That's messy. And that's made on chicken eggs. The Pfizer and the Moderna vac vaccines are not made on chicken eggs. And so there's, uh, I think, a lot of reason for you to be comfortable with that when and if it becomes available to you. But we'll talk about that as the program goes on. Right now, we'll step aside and uh, ask you to uh, help support our sponsors because that's what keeps us on the air. And um, also, of course, in these times when many of the sponsors are small business folks and they can use your support as well because the people that they work with may or that work for them may be your neighbor, if you think about it. Um, and then we'll come back and talk to Erica Commissar on online class and false ADHD diagnosis and more about the cure for COVID maybe being worse than the disease, especially for our children. We'll be right back on Overnight America. Tobler in for Ryan Recker. Hi, it's Amy Mark Scores, and the holiday season is here. From my family to yours, I wish you all the very best. Happy holidays from KMO. We're back, and thank you for being with me this evening. Hope that your Christmas and holiday 
plans, though they may be altered this year or are going as smoothly as could be in a year that is so topsy-turvy and unpredictable with a new turn around every, uh, every bend that you didn't even plan on, right? Well, someone who I've become very fond of because I read everything that she writes because I wish I'd have had everything she writes when we were raising our young kids because it's such pertinent and salient and wise advice is Erica Commissar. And um, she writes frequently in the Wall Street Journal and, and an author as well, a psychoanalyst and a parent coach. And uh, she joins us now to talk about her latest piece about the difficulty with online classes and uh, how that can lead to some uh, some mischievous diagnosis. How you doing, Erica? Everything going okay? I'm well, Randy. Thank you for having me on again. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I appreciate you giving us time. Uh, and I know how late it is uh, where you are in the Northeast, in New York City, right? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much. And it's so important that people who are, I think, the most common ripple effect other than the disease itself. Okay, I mean, of course, everyone's concerned about the disease and the virus and so forth and the, and the vaccine. But, but aside from that, the social effect, the, 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 the most common complaint I hear is from parents and usually moms, because I'm in an environment in healthcare where it's, it's moms I work with predominantly, um, that are saying, I just can't cope with what's going on with my kids when they're either intermittently or for long spans of time, you know, taken out of the classroom and put at home. I mean, forget about the disruption in the family and who's going to stay home with the child and so forth. But they see the changes in their children. And you have been out there like uh, like Paul Revere, uh, you know, saying, hey, watch out. <laughs> the trouble is coming. The trouble is coming. Um, mm -hmm. and, and now you write about online class and how it's leading to false ADHD diagnoses. Please explain. Well, what I was seeing is um, an uptick in, in schools asking parents to get neuropsychological evaluations for children of families that I was treating. And I knew that these children didn't have um, either learning disorders or ADHD, but what they did have is distract, dis, distraction and disengagement, which are really a normal part of childhood. Um, and I think that the schools are really struggling to engage children under the age of 10. You know, um, high school students and even middle school students, they're doing okay. It's not the same, but they're doing okay. But very young children, it's very hard for them to learn online. So, Rather than, rather than the school addressing their failures or difficulties engaging very young children, they're trying to put the blame on the children. Um, and so, yeah, the, there, in many cases, there is no ADHD that I can see as a clinician, nor is there any learning difficulty, but uh, just a normal difficulty sitting still and looking at a computer for hours on end. And that's, uh, that's really problematic. I mean, you chronicle how... The prevalence of ADHD diagnoses among U.S. children and adolescents rose from 6.1% in 97, 98 to 10.2% in 2015, 16. Mm -hmm. And so it was a it was a problem before COVID. And Lord knows what it's going to be <laughs> if if the COVID um, specific realities of trying to fit the, the round peg of a child under 10 into the square hole of online learning. Um, goes on for too long, right? I mean, that could be devastating. And if, if let's say a child gets diagnosed properly, because I, one of the things I've noticed is that 
sometimes the diagnosis is not made by a behavioral specialist. You know, it's made mm-hmm. by someone who with good, good faith, you know, says, well, I think that's what your kid has. They do a little teacher inventory, a, a mom and dad inventory, and then the diagnosis is made. Is that a good idea, bad idea? What should parents do when that's suggested by someone? Well, teachers should never be the ones to diagnose a child because they're not capable. I mean, it, it, to, to diagnose a child, it also shouldn't be a pediatrician. It should be uh, a child and adolescent mental health specialist. So it should be um, neuropsych evaluations are given by psychologists who are trained to do the testing. And these are objective tests. So you can't really... Uh, falsify these tests. Um, But but I mean, you know, I think it's very common for people to go to their pediatrician or for the schools to say your child needs to be on medication because, you know, what we don't talk about is the dirty secret of these medications, which is that they're performance enhancers. And Mm -hmm. that goes for younger children and for high school students and college students as well. So when the schools feel frustrated that a child is not learning in the way that they'd like them to or that the school will be seen as being ineffective in their teaching methods, they will ask parents to, uh, you know, medicate their children because, you know, inevitably uh, children may do better on these medications short term, but they have all kinds of long-term implications for children if you don't understand you know, what is underneath that behavior. And it's usually emotional. It's usually anxiety. And, uh, you know, in the case of online learning, I mean, it is not normal for children to sit still and look at a screen for hours on end. So, um, you know, their behavior, in my estimation as a clinician, is normal, not pathological. We're talking with Erica Commissar, who's a parent coach and author. And her book, Being There, Why prioritizing motherhood in the first three years matters is is something that every new parent or soon-to-be parent should read. Very, very important. Gail Sheehy had glowing words, and she's, of course, the uh, the, uh, the author of that, uh, that, that great book, Passages. Um, I think of kids as being pleasers. I mean, young children, especially that younger age group, <laughs> and I, I guess I better specify that because as they get older, they want to please less, <laughs> at least mm-hmm. at least overtly you don't get that from them. And I'm, I'm half joking, but mm-hmm. young children want to please, right? They want to make their teacher happy. They want to make mom and dad happy. They want to. And I can't imagine what it is for a child who's struggling and doing their best with a limited attention span. And as you say, behaving sort of normally at that neurodevelopmental stage to get to get signals, either implicit or explicit, that, hey, you're not cutting the mustard, kid. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What's the matter with you? You know, I mean, and not that, not that anyone means for that to happen, but I, I think the communication between parents trying to help children cope with this and teachers is probably more critical now than ever, isn't it? So as not to, to damage these kids for the long term? Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're correct in that there's more judgment and criticism of children um, and less patience and and tolerance and compassion for them right now. And I think you know parents are also stretched, you know, in terms of their sure. their patience right now. And so you know, working in their jobs from home and also trying to be educators or teachers to their children. So um, you know, I think. Everybody just has to be a little bit easier on themselves and on their children. And I think it's difficult, and that's why I wrote the article, it's difficult for parents who may be perfectionistic and may, 
you know, be anxious about their child succeeding academically. If they hear from the school, instead of hearing from the school, you know, this is normal, this will pass, this is a year where we want to work on more social-emotional development and maybe less academic development, don't worry, your child will catch up and it's normal to feel a little distracted. Instead, the schools are saying, oh, there's something wrong with your child, we think you should get your child tested, your child's not performing up to par. So the schools are making the parents more anxious who are then making making the children more anxious. Um, So the trickle-down theory, if you will. Yeah, and in defense of the schools, I mean, they're under the gun to produce grades, 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 results, 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 right? And uh, so they're they're under that pressure, too. And I think you, you mentioned how, you know, the testing and the uh, no child left behind and all that, um, you know, paralleled, not maybe association does not causation make, but it paralleled that rise in, uh, you know, in the ADHD diagnosis. But for, for folks who think there may be a lot of doom and gloom here, uh, we talked a few weeks ago with you about um, the the silver lining in this COVID cloud in that uh, kids are spending more time talking with parents, relating to families, and getting more sleep. So there is a silver lining. If you could just expand on that just a, just a bit before we have to break. Well, there is a silver lining, and the silver lining is um, is is being with with your children, playing with your children. I mean, one of the ways that you can teach young children and engage them is through play and creatively. And so I think if parents can sort of lay down their expectations that are unrealistic of a kind of rote, um, you know, listen, repeat, listen, repeat um, paradigm and be creative and experiential with their children. You know, learn math by baking cookies together and doing the measuring spoons and the measuring cup. You know, uh, you know, do do projects with history by, you know, opening books and, and painting paintings and drawing, you know, drawings and um, go dig in the dirt and learn about earthworms and instead of science. So I think if parents can be with their children more and engage their children playfully, um, there are things that children can learn. And the most important thing that children will learn is um, that their parents love them and accept them and um, have compassion for them. Erica Commissar, you are a treasure, and I, uh, I'm uh, privileged to call you friend, and uh, I so much thank you for all that you share, both written and when you're on the air with us. Again, the book is Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters, and I've tweeted out uh, your Twitter handle as well on my, uh, on my site, so uh, people should check into that. And folks, if you want to learn about um, great parenting habits, my daughter, first time she heard you, became like your biggest fan, and so she's employing a lot of your stuff right now so thanks to you and thanks for being up with us so late tonight there up on the uh, on the east coast and uh, all the best to you in the in the new year we'll be talking again and have a merry thank christmas you, Randy. thank you you right. too Bye. there she is erica commissar we'll cover uh, we'll uh, cover some weather here we ran a little late with her but it's pivotal and important information we'll uh, cover some weather and then come back and take phone calls and uh, open up some lines about the covid19 virus vaccine any questions you have then on KMOX, Overnight America with Ryan Recker, Randy Tobler, pinch hitting tonight. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back. Let's take a few phone calls. 314 436 7900, 1 800 925 1120 on Overnight America on KMOX. 
this is really a this is really a special uh, a privilege for me to do the show because I, I I just uh, so love listening to uh, to Ryan uh, do the program and and I've always been a late night radio uh, aficionado. I mean, I, I my I, I told told you guys last night. My mom and dad used to scold me because I'd slip the the radio under my pillow going to sleep. First it was the Cardinals, and then it was Jim White, then John McCormick, and and now Ryan. You know and um, it's just a great time that you can focus your thoughts. Speak of, speaking of ADHD, for those of us who have, uh, who have busy minds, let's just put it that way. I know many of you out there have that, right? And so it's nice then when the sun goes down, the evening gets quiet, um, and it's time to just sort of settle down and, and ponder some of the large questions that maybe you've not had a chance to ponder because you're coping with the busyness of life throughout the day. That's what makes the evening time great. And then topics come up that, uh, and, and maybe ideas come around that you hadn't thought about. And, and one thing that I've thought about when it relates to this COVID vaccine is the, the psychology behind folks that say, absolutely not, I'm not going to do it. I don't trust the government, I'm, no way. And, and, and again, I'm conflicted because as a, as, a, as a doc, a lot of the folks that say that are vulnerable people. I mean, anything that i could imagine maybe anything that they imagine maybe maybe you're in that in that crowd is pales in comparison to the ravages of of the covid virus yes i know that 99 point pick your decimal point you know uh, uh, a fraction people do well in this but that's that's all comers that's looking at a large universe of people if you are overweight and you know what 30 40% of Americans are over are, are obese and 60% it's now higher it's probably closer to 75% of us are are overweight that puts you at some risk and a large proportion of those folks have diabetes or prediabetes that's an inflammatory condition so you already have a little bit of a flame going on inside you and then you pile on a virus that is just inflammation on steroids, no pun intended. And uh, sometimes the reaction by your immune system after the virus paralyzes it temporarily and replicates and builds up a huge load. And by the time your immune system catches up, it is like, Katie, bar the door, fire all the nuclear weapons at once and you get caught in the crossfire. And so do your lungs and your kidneys and your heart and your sometimes your brain bad news doesn't happen to everyone and that's why i think people have become a little complacent in 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 some places that said it's terrible that we have have wrecked our economy wrecked how many millions of lives people that have maybe started a small business a restaurant last last time this year or earlier this year in January and lo and behold you know they're two months into their fledgling operation and it's shutdown time and then they have to pour in more money to build partitions and outdoor dining areas and in some areas they get shut down again are you listening Sam Page I don't think it has to be that way we can we can we can sensibly manage this if we all do something that Americans are very, very good at, and that's looking out for one another. We've always been good at that, but this seems to be an exception. It really is true that you wear the mask more for your fellow citizen than you do for you, although there is some 
benefit for you. So it's not all just altruistic. But um, in this in this season especially, if you have aversion to the vaccine, I'd ask you to carefully consider the fact that this um, late adopter of uh, or uh, of of new technologies and new things until I'm pretty sure they're working is so satisfied with the science behind this, both the basic science and then the clinical research that's been done, that should you have the opportunity to get the vaccine, I would sure give it serious consideration. And should you not, okay, that's fine too. Now, your employer may have something to say about that. I caught a story talking about how the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EOC, like they do in, in other vaccines, vaccination situations, in certain places allow you to um, allow employers to say, hey, it, you know, your, your continued employment depends on you getting the vaccine. Now that's, boy, for a libertarian-leaning conservative like Randy, that's, uh, that's some heavy, heavy dose of language there. Um, but on the other hand, if the business depends on a healthy workforce and if someone's writing a check, I guess an argument could be made that, you know, that you can make a choice. You can either work under the conditions prescribed or not. How do you feel about that? There are good arguments on both sides. Very good arguments. You're not going to tell me what to do, boss, and what to put in my body. On the other hand, I can see the boss saying, yeah, but I need a healthy workforce because I have to deliver the goods, especially you know, something like health care. And, and the only way I can do that is I can't have my limited workforce, which is difficult to replace anyway, because there's a national health care workforce shortage. It's more acute in certain areas. You know, I, I, I can see the argument on the other side. If, if, uh, if there are any attorneys out there who have some expertise in employment law, I'd like you to call and, and maybe we can have a discussion on it, because there's a lot of nuances around this. At first blush, you look at the article that I saw. Uh, and it's like, whoa, holy cow, you mean all the boss has to say is, I want you to get a vaccine or else, and that's it? Well, it's not that simple. There's, 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 a, lot to, there's a lot else to be done. The Americans with Disability Act comes into play. You have to fill out a, a vaccine questionnaire, a screening questionnaire, and as I read it, I'm no attorney, but as I read it, if you just refuse, let's say you live, you're in a, in a mandated uh, environment. Your employer says you, you get it or else. A lot of hospitals do this. Ours, we, we don't plan on it. We actually are going to probably use the carrot approach rather than the stick because I like carrots more than sticks. Um, and, and we're probably going to do some kind of a, you know, if you, if you get the vaccine, you're going to be entered into a lottery for a, an iPad or who knows, an Apple, an iWatch, who knows. It's not called an iWatch, is it, Mr. Producer? It's an Apple Watch. Something I'm probably not going to do for a while, by the way. Talk about ADD. I, I don't know. I just can't. I, I like fine timepieces with hands that move. I can't get used to looking at a black screen that sort of resembles a watch sometimes. But I understand they're very utilitarian. They're very helpful. Anyway. Well, enough of that. I think we need to go to a break because uh, I've got to stay on. Uh, I don't want Mr. Producer to use a stick on me and I'd rather use a carrot and talk to you. 314-436-7900, 1-800-925-1120. If your employer said, and they were in an industry such as healthcare, let's imagine you're a healthcare worker. Many of you may be. 
are in some other, quote, essential industry, maybe the maybe a, a grocery industry, uh, first responders. And employer said, either take the vaccine, unless you have a medical you know, reason not to, or uh, your job is threatened. What would you do? We'll talk about it when we come back on Overnight America. I'm Randy Tobler in for Ryan Recker. So glad you're here. We'll be back. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. I love this swing, swing Christmas music. Let that play, Mr. Producer. There's some good trombone music going on there. You know, I'm a trombone player. Played my way through uh, undergrad and medical school with Bob Cuban Brass down on the uh, the Admiral, and then later on the Fox and the Muni and around town with dance bands. So it's good to hear that music. Every time I, every time we watched a, a, a Christmas story the other night. Every time I see the kid with his tongue on the stuck to the pole, reminds me of the days playing, you know, having my lips stuck to the, the mouthpiece when it's outside frigid, you know, minus five, playing at the football Cardinal games. Holy cow. Crazy. We're talking about uh, mandatory vaccines on Overnight America. I'm Randy Tobler, in for Ryan Recker. And, uh, the, you know, the, the ethical question about is it right for an employer to demand that you put a vaccine into your body, which has some limited risk, very small, very limited, but has um, public gain in terms of protecting clients from you if you were to get the, the, the disease, particularly if you're a healthcare worker and you have COVID and you're infectious before you know it. And, you know, you could give your, your patients that would be devastating. Or other people that are working with patients and diminish the ability for that facility to take care of patients. The EEOC has released guidelines on mandatory workplace uh, vaccines, and they really have followed what they have done for other vaccines in the right setting, said that an employer had the right. Jeff Nowak, an employment attorney, says that... Uh, the EOC generally has given the green light to employers to require that their employees obtain a COVID-19 vaccine with potential exceptions for ADA and religious accommodations. Now, the employers who wish to exclude from the workplace those employees who refuse the vaccine will have to show that these individuals pose a direct threat. So if you, for instance, are running a, uh, an Internet uh, company or you, uh, you make video games for a business and everyone is, can work remotely and do their, you know, do their gaming uh, coding, Probably you're not going to be able to say, hey, you got to get a COVID vaccine. It has to affect the, 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 the clients of the business directly or the functions of the business. So, and there's some nuances there, but I don't know. Let's see what Daryl has to say. How you doing, Daryl? Thank you for calling Overnight America on KMOX. Sir, thank you very much for taking my call. Um, I, would, I would like to look at it from the flip side. Uh, in, instead of asking, can we force someone to do it? I think we need to flip it and say, well, what are the consequences of them not doing it? And here's what I mean by that. I believe I have heard in the news more than one occasion in the past 10 months of people being arrested on criminal charges for coughing on or spitting on someone when that when the person that does the coughing or spitting knowingly has COVID. Okay? Mm. So... I think we can all agree that COVID, I, I think it's 
kind of accepted fact, especially this new strain that's in the UK right now, is just kind of, you know, a little bit contagious. You know, a little bit. If you well, I know there there were cases with uh, so so you're thinking it's follow you're following the template of HIV, where people have been prosecuted yeah, by HIV, knowingly yeah, but eight, giving no, HIV to someone. Well, yes, yes, and no. HIV is a much, much, much more delicate virus than COVID is. COVID is more hardy. You can get rid of HIV, uh, get, you know, by by wrenching your hands under uh, a hot faucet for a hot second. COVID is is much more contagious and survives much longer than HIV AIDS does. And my point is, is if you yes, if you go in the workplace and you are going in, interacting with people, knowing that you have COVID, I don't think it's just even a matter of just civil liability. I think we're looking at criminal liability as well, and that's wow. why that's the lens I think we need to be looking at. Because if you knowingly yeah. do that, now if you know, knowingly you know have physical contact with someone with HIV, well yeah, that's physical contact. But we know physical contact is not necessary for COVID. We know this. Right. Well, but this is so. This is interesting. I mean, boy, if you were to take that philosophy and expand that to influenza, some strains in some years affect. Well, for instance, uh, the um, the the flu back in nine ten during Obama time. The H1N1 flu, that uh, that flu disproportionately affected pregnant women and younger people, right? And so would you, I mean, are you an advocate for for any kind of respiratory spread, uh, communicable disease potentially no, being a, uh, a vehicle for prosecution, criminal prosecution? No, because, no, because not one of the, the aforementioned viruses, afflictions, insert, uh, uh, insert illness here, whatever it is, yeah. not one of them has come close to killing 317,000 people in less than a year in, in this country. This is more deadly and more contagious. You are walking, if you walk into an enclosed setting, an indoor setting, and you continually interact with people in that enclosed setting that are easily less than six feet away from you or maybe even less than 10 feet away from you. And you're exchanging that air and you're exchanging that, you're sharing that space and you're doing that knowingly. That's a problem. Well, I recognize your argument, but, but, but my question was about getting a vaccine. Presumably you don't have the disease. You're a healthy person working in, you know, a doctor's office, a hospital, a a, a long-term care facility, you name it. Um, and the boss comes down the hall or writes an email to everyone that says, hey, you know, we're, we're doing a vaccine clinic uh, covering the day shift tomorrow and the night shift uh, that evening. And, uh, you know, make sure everyone has an opportunity. And if you choose not to get this uh, without a medical excuse or a religious objection, then your job is threatened. Now, I guess people could just say, you know, <laughs> you could have everyone in the place say, well, I just have a religious objection. I, I don't know the technicalities, how... Uh, how easy it is to just raise an objection, but that's why I'm curious. But so, so that's a little different question. It's a little different thought experiment, Daryl. I no, it's at least uncivil and discourteous and rude to be out when you're symptomatic 
unless you have to be. And I've done that. I've There's been times when I was on call, there was no other option, and I had a cold or I had something, uh, you know, that I had to deal with. I just wore a, I, I wore an N95 mask. I mean, I think all, all healthcare people talk about that. If there's no other choice, right. you either, you know. But um, okay, so I don't know. Gosh, I don't know. I wasn't prosecuted. I was glad for that, though. I'm thankful. Well, here's if if I may, it seems to me it's a logical extension that if you are in a position, whether it's physical distancing or yeah. the, the much more desirable, in my opinion, anyway, uh, uh, option of getting a vaccine. One way or another, uh, it is your so, personal responsibility to take okay. that step. So there you go. That that circles the loop. If you know that you're going to have consequences for not getting the vaccine, maybe getting the disease, yada, yada. Okay, I get it. Hey, well, I thank you for the call. Interesting thought. Thank maybe you. we can follow up on that later on. We're going to do some open lines in the 11 o'clock hour after we uh, play a Scarborough interview. Next hour, we talk with Michael Mahon who's a host of Psych with Mike and a clinical therapist about COVID, SAD, the holidays. Lots more coming up on Overnight America. I'm Randy Tobler in for Ryan Recker. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.